Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Who's got two thumbs and has anxiety? This bitch. Welcome to Whiny About History, the women's history podcast where we whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but deaf should have. Mm-hmm. I've got anxiety and I'm Emily. I've also got anxiety and I'm Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Hello, I'm, Emily. I was very inspired by your mug. Today's episode is sponsored by Hot Cider and Hangover Chic. Yay. Leggings and sweatshirts. And unwashed hair. Cozy. I love it. But yeah, I'm Kelly's letting me use her mug. It's got a rainbow and like little stars all over it. It says, I've got anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it it's the script sings to me. Yeah. It kind of looks like one of those the more you know. And I, I, I seriously, I the vibe I got when I bought it. I, was I like, am this in is coming love home with, with this mug. I actually like because th- I do have anxiety. I also have anxiety, and it's it's a fucking trip, ain't it? But that's one of the aesthetics I love. I love curse words in like beautiful like Victorian script. Mm-hmm. But I also love things about like I'm a fucking dumpster fire. But there's like rainbows and unicorns and stars yeah. around it, where it's it makes like everything look happy. Yeah, yeah. No, I though. I have two wolves inside me, and those are the two wolves. <laughs> but yeah, we're doing we're doing like a midday recording. It was morning at some point, and now it is midday. Buenas tardes, and uh, I'm just sipping on this hot apple cider because it's fall, y'all, and I'm here for the leaves. The smell of death surrounds us and gives me histamines. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. See, the I, my anxiety mug is giving me power by the way if you're missing this mug at the end of the day just don't ask me where it is because I will not tell you the truth I will I know where (laughs) you live well then you should come over more this is I'm gonna steal this mug as an anchor baby like I'm gonna lure you to my home with with a mug with promises of anxiety mugs that you properly own and that I have stolen from you and then we'll just like hang out and watch Anastasia it's valid I love that all right. Well, uh, oh, by the way, Kelly, yes. before we get started, I have something to tell you. Oh, I have no. a message I have been asked to convey to you from Alina, who is the one who sent us the sluts chat where her friend Gus was like three out of five stars would rather I be listening to Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yes. And I was so mad at you because I'm know. like, you fucking missed the point. So anyway, I told her that, you know, oh, I finally read it on the podcast and like, Kelly didn't fucking get it and I got really upset. So she listened to it and she thought it was the funniest fucking thing. And she's like, she said she was going to see Gus at some point. She's like, I'm going to get him drunk. Well, actually, he's going to get himself drunk, but then I'm going to make him record an apology to Kelly. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, this was all preface. Like I told her the end was sarcastic. You told me it was sarcastic. And I think and then my brain just didn't comprehend. I think Kelly this. got hit with the criticism, the the air quotes, yeah. the sexy finger quotes criticism, and was like devastated where her brain, like everything beforehand didn't happen. Nope, she was just like the three out of five stars. She's and like, I was what like, the what? fuck do you mean Ben Shapiro on the Joe Rogan podcast? Like that sounds terrible. But I did. I talked to the Lena about it and she's like, I'm glad oh. she found it funny though. She, she thought it was hilarious. Um, Headworthy is now in my standard vernacular. Yep. This mug is headworthy. This cider is headworthy. And 
I like to think I'm pretty headworthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, Alina was on the the Voyagers trip, and so I got to chat with her, and it was it was she she's an awesome person. She did all of this cooking and baking and prep for the trip. That's awesome. And when I mean like she made food, like okay, so one night we had um butternut squash ravioli and when I say she made the pasta I don't mean she, she opened made the pasta yeah I don't mean she opened the package and boiled the water she made the pasta and then stuffed them and made them raviolis and she and she even like made these apple muffins where she peeled the fucking apples and I'm like what era are you from like pioneer woman, what is this? And I've never felt so safe and taken care of before. And I have a really good like parental system. Yeah. But no, she was she was seriously a fucking MVP of that trip. And yeah, getting to talk with her about the the text chat was a lot of fun and telling her your reaction. I'm like, Kelly eventually got it. Like we talked about it, but like just just a heads she up. She had a moment. In the moment, she was fucking devastated, and I got really mad. That was just funny. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, what's up, Alina? I love you. And, yeah, Alina's like, sorry, Kelly. But if we get a drunk, if we get a drunk apology from Gus, we will read it on the podcast. That will make my life. Yeah. Or he may just tell us to go fuck ourselves. Like, who knows? Mainly me. Gus not, is, not really you. Mainly me. From, from my understanding, Gus is a bit chaotic, which is so, definitely our brand. Alley, yeah, yeah. I, I think we would get along very well with Gus. Because seriously, that last comment was exactly what I would say about something. Like, just great. So thank you, Alina. Thank you, Gus, for bringing us endless joy and self-doubt. Yep. <laughs> and and then, anger, apparently. And endless apple muffins. Seriously, it's so good. Apple muffins are delicious. Still actually dreaming about it. I gained so much weight from just eating apple muffins. And Mm. I don't regret a a single bite. Mm. All right. Well, Kelly. I get to go first. You get to go first. You get to kick us off and hopefully there are no Nazis because I'm still not over last week. Oh, we're like pre-Nazis. Oh, th- oh, before Nazis were invented. Oh, yeah. By the patriarchy and horses. Yes. Good. Good, 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 good. To be fair, Nazis have always kind of existed. They just, like, have had different brand names. You know. Yeah. Just anti-Semitic, white supremacist. Like, it's it's nothing new. It should be something old at this point, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Talking about Livia. Livia? Or Livia Drusilla. One of the two. Livia Drusilla. We're just going to go with Livia. Is she one of the evil stepsisters from Cinderella? Oh, no. We're, Anastasia we're older Drusilla. Than <laughs> How old is Cinderella? We're going BCE with this. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. Like that old. Yeah. Okay. Like a vino lotion is not going to help you anymore. No, <laughs> it's <laughs> okay. Cool. So Livia was born in either fifty nine or fifty eight BCE. One of the two. Um, the the do- fact it's even that close, yeah. to be honest, is it's, truly shocking. Yeah. That they've narrowed it down to two years right next to each other. <laughs> right. Um, she was the daughter of a Roman noble named Marcus Livius Drusus Claudianus. 
Can we, and, can we start calling Drew Drusus? Sure. Okay. And damn, that is a name. That's a fucking name. Um, his wife was named Elphidia. And Elphidia? I have a question for ancient Romans. <laughs> Why do men have like four ridiculously long names and women have one? I can't tell if this is like a good thing for women or a bad thing for women. Is it is it that women also had four names, but they just didn't bother writing them down? I have absolutely no idea. Or maybe it's no like idea. the men inherited the names of like their fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers. But like literally all the men in this story have at least like three, like a full name yeah. and all the women have like one. Can I also just say, all right. Maybe two. Here's the thing. You, you do what you want with your children. You're the one raising them. But it's always been a pet peeve of mine when someone names their child like Elizabeth, but has no intention of ever calling them their full name. They're like, her name's Elizabeth, but we've always from day one called her Libby or Lizzie, you know, something yeah. like that, where it's like, then just name her that. Yeah, I'm thinking dad named Livia after himself because yeah. his name was Marcus Livius. But what I'm saying is, did this guy actually just have a nickname? Like they just called him Mark or Drew? And it's like, don't give him four names if he's not even going to use half of one. Right. <laughs> like, I hope they called him that in full. Um, so Livia is often referred to as Livia Drusilla. I couldn't really figure out why. One note said it's something about like it means he wasn't she wasn't her dad's first daughter. But I like I honestly like don't know. I like looked up Drusilla and it came up with a bunch of other random stuff. Yeah. Also, if you look up um, Livia, it's apparently the name of something that helps with menstrual cramps. Livia. Yep. You know what? She's the real MVP. I also wish I could help with menstrual cramps. I just complain about them. And breast tenderness. And so a lot of times, also like Drusilla is the feminine name, the feminine version of Drusus, Drusus, which which is is also her father's name. So my guess is that's where it comes from. Yeah. But I couldn't really figure out... Well, I if wonder there if there was anything beyond that. I wonder if it's kind of like when you were talking about, um, God, was it Swedish names where it's like Matt's daughter, Drew's daughter. Oh, no, Maybe this yeah, was, was the like way Fra- of Frank's saying, son or yeah. stuff like that. Maybe yeah. this was the way of just saying like. This is who her father was. Livia, healer of menstrual cramps and daughter of Drew. Yeah, maybe. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I'm still dying a little bit. That's that. That's okay, because maybe we'll meet another character in this show that helps with coughs. Yeah. Livia helps with menstrual cramps and, you know, cough suppressantitis helps right. with coughing. So at the age of 15 or 16, her father would marry her off to Tiberius Claudius Nero. And honestly, 15 oh, or 16 wait, wait, like is actually like... Nero? Like uh, the played the fiddle while Rome burned Nero. I don't think so. I, Nero I think was same, like Dave. I think same family line. Okay, not the Nero though. Okay, I don't think. Also, here's the thing: all of these people have like, oh, they have there the are same, so many fucking of the same names. I had to have like Google the, different people. They have the same ten names that they just like put into a random generator, and then they pop out like the title. So it's like Nero. Oh, I know that. But was that like Dave? Where it's like, 
oh, you know, there's Dave A and then Dave B and then Dave C. And then there's there's Dave J, but we just call him Davey. Ah. But no, like he, I mean, like he's one of the Neros. <laughs> he's a Nero. One of the lesser Neros. And it's actually interesting because if you Google him, like one of the things he is known for is being the first husband of Livia. So I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so Tiberius is what I'm going to call him. Um, Ty Ty. So he was a cousin on her father's side, or as they liked to say back then, of Patriot. Patrician status, which means on your father's side. Patrician. Like patricide. Um, or he, patriarchy. He was fighting um, with Livia's father on the side of Julius Caesar's assassins against Octavian, who was Julius Caesar's son. The Ides of March! Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so her father would um, end up completing suicide in the Battle of Philippi along with Gaius Cassius and Marcus Junius Brutus, basically most of, or three of Caesar's assassins. Murder, yeah. <laughs> I was like, um, et tu Brutus. I thought when I know. Et tu Brutus. Et tu Brute. Actually, I think it's the, what it is, but yes. Anyways, but her husband would continue fighting um, against Octavian, now on behalf of Mark Antony. Um, Mark Who Antony famously stripped Cleopatra. Yeah. Um, and his brother, Lucius Antonius. I'm like, really? And then comes in Tiki Tiki Tembo Nosa Rembo Charge Bari Rucci Pit Perry Pembo. Did you have to Google that? Of the Neros. I did. Okay. I used to have it memorized because I would read that book to kids all the time. But when we were talking about all these crazy long names yeah. and using them, I'm like, this is some Tiki Tiki Tembo shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so, they all decided that was a really bad idea. Yep. So during this time, Livia would give birth to her first son. Um, named Tiberius after his father because that's what they would do back then. Um, in about 42 BCE, by 40 BCE, the family would flee Rome um, to the protection of Mark Antony because Octavian had finally come back and was like, fuck all of you that killed my father and yeah. don't, don't want me as king. Um, so, yep, they ran. Um, and so later, Livia and Tiberius and Tiberius... Husband and son. Um, so Tiberius to, and Tiberius. Tibi- they're both called Tiberius. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll call him so Tiberius, Tiberius and Tibbers. Ne- it's Tiberius, Nero, and then Tiberius. I'm just going to call him Tibbers. Okay. They would move. Um, so they would move with Mark Antony, and then they would move on to Greece, and then they would actually end up returning to Rome. However, by 38 BCE, we find a pregnant Livia divorcing her husband to marry Octavian, the guy that he hated. Oh! Octavian at this time was newly divorced himself from his first wife, Scribonia, which that's a name. Scribonia. Yep. Um, who had just hail, given, who hail, literally, Scribonia. on the day he chose to divorce her, gave birth to his daughter, Julia. Jesus Which Christ. is like the least Roman name to me, but apparently it is Roman. Well, Julian. I think it's technically Ju- Julia the Elder. Too. But Julia, yeah, is Roman suppose, because well, that's Julius where we get. Is the male. No, I know. Like but Julius like Julius Caesar. But you get Julius, Julian, Julia. Yeah. July. That's, because of Julius. Yeah. Um, so the events leading up to why these two got married are not quite clear it's kind of been lost to history some legends say that octavian fell in love with livia like the second he saw her 
so much so that he was like, no, I'm, I'm divorcing you like goodbye. Because he, when he first met Octavian, they were still married. He was still married to Scribonia. Um, however, it seems safe to assume that both Octavian and Livia wanted some part of this union. Yeah. Um, and some even say Octavian forced um, Tiberius Nero to d- divorce Livia so he could have her. Oh my God, this is this is some soap opera shit. Yeah. This is some like General's Hospital yeah. of Rome. And like, even though this is ancient Rome, where a lot of people walk around naked, this still caused a like a huge deal of scandal and tongue wagging. Which I love that term, tongue wagging, which means I like, do. gossip. I mean, okay. Actually, Rome was a pretty conservative society, like depending on the era. Depending on the era. This is, like, yeah, this is kind of in that weird, like public bath, but kind of publicly Victorian. I th- It was, I think a lot of the, um, and I, here's the thing, I'm not a fucking historian. They were big this is on not a serious families. history Rome podcast. Rome was big on family. But I think it was more of like the women yeah. held the burden of modesty while the yep. men could like jerk each other off in the bathhouses. It yeah. was... And they would just go like, no homo, bro. And it's like, please, please stop doing these things. Right. Just just live your fucking lives. So yeah, um, several ancient sources say that Octavian tried to minimize the scandal by putting out a story of a divine omen, indicating that Livia had a special role to play, supposedly while she was traveling to her country estate, an eagle, which is the bird of Jupiter, dropped into her lap a pregnant hen holding a sprig of laurel in its mouth, basically being like, oh, this is the person who's going to give birth and like continue like the lineage and you know how it's true because of all of the details <laughs> yeah it's very specific yes. um augustus and livia would marry on january 17th uh waiving the traditional waiting period that was common of rome at the time um tiberius claudius nero so her her, her ex-husband at this point was present at the wedding and even gave her away similar to how a father would i like to i would like to think that octavius um, Augustus is also Octavian like that because his name is not Octavian is like a nickname oh his name is god damn it he's another Augustus Caesar basically well here's the other thing these guys would change their names when they like ascended to power uh, well because Julius or no August I can't remember if it's Julius or Augustus but one of those is basically like emperor back then okay yeah um well, okay, no, his so- name his name was Caesar Augustus also known as Octavian Okay, so Tiberius is her ex-husband. She's marrying Octavius, who I, I'm just going to call him by his nickname because I have no room in my Octavian. brain. Octavian. Yeah, and so Tiberius is giving her away. I just like to think that Octavian was like, you have to give her away. <laughs> Next time on The Real Housewives of Ancient oh, Rome. You bitch, Splash. Right. <laughs> Three months after getting married to... um. Octavian, Livia would have the son she was already pregnant with from Tiberius, um, who the, he na- she named Drusus. Wait, she was pregnant with Tiberius's baby when they got divorced. When they got divorced, she was and then about she six marries pregnant. She marries Octo. Octavian, and then yeah. has the baby. Yeah, I'm loving this timeline. <laughs> um, so Drusus was born, and in, in accordance with Roman custom at the time, both boys so. Um, what did you call Tiber or whatever? Tiber. Tiber. Little Tiber. And, Little Tibbs. And Drusus went to be raised by their father. And then Julia, which was the baby that uh, Scribonia had the day mm-hmm. she got divorced, um, was this to be so yep, was to be raised with Octavian. Um, Tiberius would 
Tiberius the Elder, Tiberius Nero, would die in 32 BCE, and both of Livia's sons would come and join Octavian's household. Okay. So by so, 32 BCE, Julia, Tibur, and Drusus are all living with Octavian. Julia, and, Tibur, and little Drew. And Livia. Cool. Um, She's got her hands full. What happens when a woman has to raise her ex's ch- bastard child, her other I mean, ex's child? None of these child. children are technically bastard children. I mean, true. Because I mean, like because Scribonia, they were married. They were married. <laughs> what happens when woman woman has to raise her husband's ex's child, her ex husband's child, and her new child all under one, one roof? roof. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. And to note, like m- during this time, Octavian was off fighting Mark Antony quite a bit, like because they were very and Cleopatra during this time. Um, eventually, Mark Antony would commit suicide. Um, which is actually a very, very interesting story. If people like go, go read like Cleopatra and Mark Antony's history. It's actually really fascinating. So, um, I'm a big Cleopatra war Queens, war Queens has a whole, has a whole chapter on that. And they actually like that story's always been very confusing to me, but war Queens does a really, really good job of like telling it and like trying to pick apart the, the myth from the facts and you, you can even listen they have a podcast episode on it so whether you read the book war queens or go to their podcast they're they're, they're so good and like i'm not a big ancient history person because there's so much i have to understand before i can even get to like what i want to learn about but they do a really good job at making right. it accessible yeah so after that happened octavian would return to rome for the final time triumphant obviously like that was the big enemy um, and when he returned, he would be bestowed upon the honorary title of Augustus, which at the time meant honorable or revered one. That's why yeah. you have like Augustus Caesar and Augustus Julius Caesar and like all of these different people named Augustus. It's it's a title, not a name per se. Um, I'm still going to call him Octavius because I have yeah, no same. more room in my brain. Um, he would reject any other mo- monarch monarchic. He would reject being called like king or anything like that. Instead, choosing to refer to himself as precept civitas or first citizen of the state or precept senatus um, first among the Senate. Okay. So basically he's like, yes, I will. I will acknowledge myself as a leader, but I'm not, I don't want to be called like king or any. You're not doing the monarchy or thing. anything like that. Yeah. He and Livia would form the role model for Roman households. Despite their wealth and power, they, um, their family would continue to live in a modest house on Palatine Hill. Um, Livia would set pattern for the noble um, Roman moms or matrona, like mm-hmm. matrons. Um, she wouldn't wear excessive jewelry or pre- pretentious costumes. She took care of her household and husband. They, they say that she would often make a lot of his tunics himself, herself, and he was, like, very proud of it. I totally thought you were going to say tuna sandwiches. Yep. I bet she also made him Probably. tuna sandwiches. This is interesting because it feels very like president and first lady esque. But it's also a lot of like if you think of like if you think of Cleopatra, yeah, think of like a statue of Cleopatra. It's like the opposite of how she would dress because yeah. she would wear a lot of jewelry, like big head pieces. She was very flashy. Well, to be fair, those are also the artistic interpretations yeah. of Cleopatra. But like the image that we have of Cleopatra, this was the antithesis. Oh, 100%. Even in yeah. the images. I'm, yeah. I'm going to get into that. Um, 
But yeah, so she would make her husband her clothes. She was faithful and dedicated. Um, and like that was like the ideal for Roman women. I love that she went from like this very dramatic soap opera like origin story to she's like, I'm just the perfect little housefrau. She's German. And she's now. German now. She's German now. Don't worry um, about it. In 35 BC, Octavian would give Livia the unprecedented honor of ruling her own finances um, and dedicate a public statue to her, which was kind of unheard of in this time. Like most of the statues were males. Yeah. She would own and effectively administer copper mines in Gaul, estates of palm groves in Judea, and dozens of papyrus marches throughout Egypt. She had her own circle of clients and would have many protégés in political offices. Like, she was she allowed was kind of a to do her own thing. Yeah. Um, and despite the fact that Livia never bore any children for Octavian, um, there is a record that she may have potentially either had a miscarriage or stillbirth. But beyond that, no, she never had any children oh, with Octavian. That's right. Because, okay, yeah, because Julia... Was from his previous marriage. And both of her sons were from, were from her previous marriage. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. For some reason, I thought like, I thought it was kind of like a Brady Bunch thing nope. where it's like the Julia's from his marriage and little Tibber's from her marriage and then they had a baby together. But nope. you're right. Little Drew yep. is from Tiberius. Exactly. Okay. And what's interesting is like part of the symbolism that he set or that like the omen was to predict was like, yeah, that she was fertile and like all of this stuff that, cause it was like a pregnant hen and like, yeah. that was like part of the whole thing, but she never ended up um, having any kids with him. Don't and, you just, but they did stay married for 52 years despite not having any children. I have a, okay. So like, obviously I'm just wildly speculating with no consequences to any real people, right. but it sounds like they had a marriage not only of like mutual ideas and goals, you know, but also it sounds like they actually loved each other. Yeah. And like he and there was definitely must respect have, there. He mu- yeah, he must have respected the hell out of her. And like it sucks to hear things like he allowed her, he gave her permission, things, but that was the way it was. Like, especially in these and he, times. And I could I think in this case it's almost like he empowered her to do these things. Right. But also, I just wanna say it is my biggest pet peeve when a fucking falcon drops a pregnant hen on my lap. With, with a, a laurel twig with a laurel twig in its clutches and I just have to be like fuck now I gotta go I gotta leave my husband go marry this other guy and have a bunch of children because a pregnant hen fell in my lap right awesome great that was not in my life plan yeah can you imagine when you're playing the game of life you also, roll it and it's an like eagle. you got I don't fucking care <laughs> Some kind of flying predatory bird. Can you imagine the game of life? Like you roll as you land on pregnant hen falls in your lap. You must leave your husband, marry another man and raise his children while you're pregnant with your ex-husband's child. That's like one very specific square. How do you fit all of those little peg people in the car? So Octavian or more likely Octavian and Livia working together carefully crafted the public displays, honors, and status that was given to Livia. Um, on one hand, she had the sacrosanctity, um, which is protection of the city. That's what sacrosanctity is. Um, and the right to sit in a special place with the Vestal Virgins during public performances, which is like a big deal because like 
Vestal virgins back then were like revered. Like they, yeah, a lot of times they were the ones that like ran the temples and like they were weren't Vestal virgins like chosen from a very early age. Like yes. by the way, this is your like, job. That was your that was your life. Basically, they they pulled the the their career card in the game of life was Vestal virgin. Yep. Like, so they it. they were priestesses of Vesta, mm-hmm. who was a virgin goddess goddess of romans like hearth and flame so basically like they almost took care of the cities in a way so the fact that she got to like sit among them was a really big deal mm-hmm. and it also was kind of like she's obviously not a virgin but she's she's like the mother equivalent of one she's her status is being she's equated to them. yeah yeah um, on the other hand, her entire public persona and all images of her and actions were closely connected with marriage, family, and the tradition of Roman morality. So there's a, there was a place called the Portico of Livia, or it was a public recreation area consisting of a large courtyard surrounded by um, covered walkways. And inside it contained a shrine to Concordia dedicated to marital concord and harmony. At the time of its dedication, she gave a large... Uh, banquet for the respectable uh, matrons of Rome. So, like, she is very much cultivating this, like, perfect mother, perfect family. Mm-hmm. This is how Romans should live. This feels very Jackie O to me because she was she was yeah. such an idol of like femininity in her time. Yep. Even though her husband was stooping anything that moved, right. And her actions were actually like viewed as untraditional. Like the fact that a lot of her actions were very public, that was very mm-hmm. uncommon for wives of essentially emperors. Yeah. He didn't want the title, but that's essentially what Octavian is. Um, but they were directed toward very traditional ends. So they may have been very public, but they were also very traditional. Mm-hmm. In the words of a historian, um, it says, while Livia may have been a leader, she was still emphatically womanly. That's mm-hmm. like a translated a translation, obviously. Yeah. Womanly. Um, even on coins, her um fig not her figure, her like her portrait is very restrained, very like plain. Yeah, like, mod- modest. Modest. And it's it's interesting because you can tell what era you're in if you look at ancient coins by what like what her hairstyle looks like. I'm I'm looking at this one statue, like or this bust of her, um, in Egyptian, in the Louvre. It, it's it's an Egyptian sculpture in the Louvre, and it it is very basic. Like she's got she's got like the little hair bump in the front, but then kind of like those tight crimps that were really popular mm-hmm. in the in the twenties, like on the side. Yeah. And her face betrays nothing. Yep. She could be sleeping at this moment. Yep. Yep. I think, I think what's interesting, like, uh, you know me, I'm not like very much for like the conservative values and like modesty and things like that. But I think it's interesting that she as a woman in this time played this game of embracing those values but at the same time defying them by being yep. so outward it's and very so public but it's like she was using that image of like I am the I am the prototypical Roman woman and you must see me to give herself more agency more power and more control yeah so um with Octavian being the father of only one daughter Julia um, Livia revealed herself to be ambitious and soon started to push her sons, um, Tiberius and Drusus, into power. 
that's what historians say. And I mean, yeah, she probably definitely did help them. Mm -hmm. Um, Drusus was a trusted general and married Octavian's favorite niece, Antonia Minor, having three children, um, including one that would be a future emperor, Claudius, like the famous emperor Claudius. Okay. That one is the actual one. Okay. (laughs) Um, Shortly after having the three children, Drusus would be killed, though, um, in like battle because he was a general so that's a little bit sad wait is this little drew yeah oh little drew um yeah uh tiberius would go on to marry julia um his stepsister there's a porn about that and by a porn i mean there is so much porn about that Um, (laughs) and was ultimately adopted as octavian's heir which makes sense good for Um, you little tibber Rumor has it that Livia may have been behind some of Octavian's um, other heirs' deaths, such as his nephew Marcellus. Um, And then Julia had two older sons um, whom Octavian, her her father, had adopted as successors. Um, One died. So, okay, so, so the old speculation so, that Livia was, like, secretly murdering people yeah, to make sure I don't, little I don't know tibbers. if it's necessarily true, but... Okay. Um, and then Tiberius it, was adopted at the same time as Julia's younger son. Also, that means Julia was married before getting married to Tiberius. I was going to say, you said um, her sons. I'm like, wait. Um, but her younger son eventually got sent into exile, um, leaving Tiberius to take the throne um ancient scholars so there's two ancient scholars i mention a lot which is tacitus and cassius dio um they're both like actually from ancient era Mm -hmm. um tacitus says that livia was probably not altogether innocent in these deaths um and cassius also mentions that there were a lot of rumors at the time at least um there was um, Tacitus and Cassius both mentioned that Livia may have also brought about Octavian's death, um, but modern historians say that that is probably very highly unlikely. Like she gained more from him being alive than being I dead. was gonna say it doesn't seem like she would have gained anything from him being dead, right. let alone her killing him. Right. So Octavian died on the August nineteenth in fourteen A.D. So we have crossed over the zero timeline. Um, being deified by the Senate shortly afterwards, so he became a deity. In his will, he left one-third of his property to Livia and two-thirds to Tiberius, which makes sense because Tiberius was taking on the title, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the in the mantle. will, he also adopted um, his wife, uh, Livia, into the Julian family and granted her the honorific title of Augusta. So basically, oh. he's like, you're my empress damn um and she is like she is known as the first empress of rome she is if you look up augusta the the female version of the name she is the first like woman to receive that title okay so that's a big deal yeah um so these dispositions of this name meant livia got to keep her status and most of her power even though her husband was dead and so her new name was um, apparently she took on the name Julia Augusta. That doesn't sound right. Hold on. Backing up. I'm just gonna say I'm getting very confused. By I know. I'm like, there's now. so many names. 
Can we can we just call her the the queen formerly known as the goddess of menstrual cramps? Oh no, I'm still gonna call her Livia. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't know if she ever actually changed her name or not. Hold on. Scrolling down. I'll say, regardless, it sounds like Livia is kind of living her best life. Yeah, so she she did change names to Julia Augusta. I don't really know why. Um, but basically, the name Julia Augusta became a special honorific for subsequent empresses as well. So that's kind of cool. Nice. So as the widow of a deified Augustus, priestess of his cult, which I'm like, way to go. Priestess of his cult. Well, because like he became a deity, and so yep. she became... The priestess, yeah. Which is why we have a funerary cult. Yeah, and mother of the new emperor, Livia may have even been granted um, other other special things um, and may have still, like, got to keep her seat with um, the Vestal Virgins and stuff like that. Images of Livia at this time portray her as the personification of the virtues such as piety and statues depict her in the guise of various goddesses, especially Circe, um, the goddess of fertility and abundance. And um, also the goddess of fucking your twin brother. What? I'm, isn't that, isn't Circe the one in Game of Thrones who fucks her, her brother, her twin brother? Yeah, I think so. But okay. that, that's I, different. I'm, I'm, I'm making a joke. I'm. I'm making a joke. Neither of us are could, drunk I guess enough. it could be Cirrus. I don't actually know how the Roman goddess pronounced her name. Because it's C-E-R-E-S. I'm going to say Cersei. Yeah, that's how I've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Head canon, it's Cersei. And she definitely had a twin brother who she fucked. Okay. I in mean, mytho- fertility and abundance. In mythology. I don't want to fuck with mythology, dude. Everyone was... You're going to get us cursed. Here's the thing. If there is one thing about Roman mythology that I know to be true, it's that everyone was fucking everyone. That's Greek mythology. And it was mainly Zeus fucking everyone. Also Roman mythology. Everyone was fucking everyone in all mythology. I feel like it was less so in Roman mythology, but I could be wrong. Everyone, go to our poll on Facebook and tell us how sexy you think Greek versus Roman mythology was. <laughs> I mean, they're basically, they mirror each other because they yeah. stole from each other. Yep. Um, anyways, so this is where the rumors about um, Livia pot- potentially um, poisoning Octavian came in. Um, like I said, most of these are dismissed as just fabrications spread by probably political enemies, particularly of the family. Um you know, just trying to undermine her. The most famous of these um, assertions is that Livia, unable to poison his food because Octavian insisted on only eating figs picked fresh from his garden, would smear each fruit with poison while still on the tree to preempt him eating those fresh figs. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of fucking work. Who has the time? Also, eat a diet based solely on figs cannot like be good time. for you. Yeah. His bowel movements must have been a mess. Also, maybe that's what killed him. A diet of exclusively figs. Interesting uh, side note. In imperial times, there was a variety of fig cultivated in Roman gardens called the Liviana. Potentially because of her, um, because she actually had like really good horticultural skills, but also potentially as like a tongue in cheek reference to, oh, you killed your husband with figs. Either way, I'm like, that's kind of fantastic. So for some time after her husband passed, Livia and Tiberius, her son, 
um, appeared to get along just fine. Um, speaking against her was treason. He granted his mother a seat with the, the Vestal Virgin so she could still sit there. Um, she would exercise a lot of power, unofficial, but real power. Um, and eventually it appears that Tiberius became resentful of his mother's political status, particularly because the voices of people saying that she gave him the throne were getting a little louder and he didn't really like that. Um, during his reign, um, the Senate wanted to give his mother, Olivia, the title Mater Patronae or Mother of the Fatherland mm-hmm. because they had given Octavian um, Pater Patronae, Father of the Fatherland. Um, and Tiberius said no. Ooh, he's getting bitter. Um, and during this time, there's two different depictions of Livia. Like some ancient historians depict her as like a domineering dowager ready to interfere in Tiberius's decisions. And other people just kind of show her like living her life how she wanted to. Not necessarily going against or like she was for Tiberius, but like not necessarily directly interfering. So like yeah. there was kind of both of those. Although there were some instances of friends of hers exercising her power and thinking they were above the law. And she pardoned someone that definitely killed someone. Um, But because they were friends, she was like, "Eh, let's not kill her. I will. Okay. I will say like, and and this doesn't make the behavior okay, but she's not doing anything that no, Roman... No, she's not doing anything, like, horrible. Well, she's not doing anything that Roman emperors haven't done before her and since. It's just that, woo, she's it's, getting kind of... not the emperor. She, well, she's getting kind of uppity for a woman, and that's the issue that they have. Right. Um, and there's even a record that shows Julie or Livia dedicating a statue to her former husband, Octavian, in the center of Rome and placing her own name before Tiberius's, which is a big no-no because Ooh, he's the emperor. Yeah. Which I'm like, get over it. I hope it was a statue of her giving him a fig right? while he's sitting on the toilet. Um, <laughs> eventually, her son would leave Rome and go to Capri, which I think is funny. Like, he left. Yeah. Like, he's still the emperor, but he left. He didn't exile her. He's like, nah, I'm just, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm he's, out. He's having a tantrum on yeah. Capri. He's fine. So he goes to Capri and like some say it was to escape his mother. Some say he just preferred that city better. I mean, there were a lot of things wrong with Rome. So maybe um, until he left a lot or even at this point, a lot of historians say that there was like a genuine harmony between mother and son or a well-concealed hatred. One yeah. of the two. Um, by 22 AD, um, Livia had fallen ill and Tiberius, um, went back to Rome to be with her, but then went back to Capri. And when she died in 29 AD, um, he was on Capri and said that like, oh, I have too much work and sent Caligula. Yep. That Caligula. Oh my God. To deliver the funeral or, or oration. Um, (laughs) I know. What even is? Is this story? This feels like a Mad Libs of famous uh, Romans, but also of like just batshit crazy stuff that happened in Real Housewives, you know. Um, so Suetonius, who is also a ancient, like was alive during this time, was a historian of the time, mm-hmm. um, adds this very macabre detail: "Quote: When she died, after a delay of several days, during which the body um, was left out in hope of his coming." She was at last buried because the condition of her corpse made it necessary. 
Like, she started decomposing real bad that they were like, we can't wait any longer. We're just going to bury her. Oh, God. Um, during this time, the Senate tried to um, give a lot of divine honors and deify her just like they had her husband. Uh, and he vetoed all of it, saying that it was in accordance with her instructions and vetoing um, or and canceling any fulfillment of her will. Wait, yep. so she had a will and they were like, fuck that shit. He was like, the Senate wasn't. Oh, no, no, I know. But. He was just like, no, we're not. We're just basically going to forget about my mother. It's it's very. Um, That's petty. It's very. Um, I think it was Hypatia. Like going back to episode like five. Um, oh, the the woman with uh, who did the math. No, God, what is her name? It was um one of the one of my early episodes when I covered a I covered an Egyptian who oh Hatshepsut yeah Hatshepsut yeah it was episode three um yeah whose son just like completely yeah. erased her and that's. He's not erasing her. He's just kind of like, no, we're not going to give her any further honors. Yeah. Um, however, 13 years later, in 42 AD, after her son had died and her grandson Claudius was on the throne, he restored all honors to her and allowed her deification to be completed. She was named Diva Augusta or the Divine Augusta. <gasps> And an elephant-drawn chariot conveyed her image to all public games during the time. A statue was set up of her in the Temple of Augustus, along with her husbands, and races were held in her honor, and women were to invoke her name in their sacred oaths. Her and Octavian's tomb was later sacked at an unknown date because people are terrible. Oh, my God. So, legacy. As I said before, she is viewed as the first Roman empress. Um... And a lot of ancient sources agree that Livia and Octavian had a really good marriage. He, she was his best confidant and counselor, and the extent of her influences and potential scheming remain pretty disputed um, due to her numerous attempts um, by various political enemies to defame her. I, it really sounds like they were resentful of the power and influence she had as a woman. And so they were like, well, yep. she's a scheming bitch. And it's like, there's no evidence to that other than you just saying right. it. There is some evidence, however, according to Suetonius, who had who had actual records to the imperial records, mm -hmm. or who had access to the imperial records, that Octavian would write down lists of items to be discussed with his wife, Livia, and then take careful notes of what she would say to be consulted again later. Oh, I um, love a man who listens and takes notes on what I'm saying. Right. That's hot. That is the hottest fucking shit I have ever heard in right. my life. So Livia's image would appear on countless ancient visual media, such as coins and portraits. She was the first woman to appear on, an, on any provincial coin in 16 BC. And her portrait images, like I said, can be chronologically identified by the progression of her hairstyles, oh my God. which represented more than keeping up with the fashions of her time. Um, but it was also like translating directly to like the political statement that she was making of representing the ideal Roman woman. Yeah. She was the model Roman diva. Yep. And Livia's image also evolves with different styles of portraiture that trace her effect on imperial propaganda that helped bridge the gap between her role as a wife and mother. So, like, you'll see, like, there's a shift between, like, when she's 
wife of the emperor to mother of the emperor. Mm-hmm. Sorry, your husband's I know, walking I outside saw the that. window. I was like, legs. Um, yeah. What, who are these hairy legs belonging to? She was described as a beautiful woman in ancient texts, and she serves as a pub. She served as a public image for the idealization of Roman feminine qualities, a mother figure, and eventually a goddess-like representation of virtue. Basically, her power is, is in symbolizing the renewal of the Republic with the female virtues of piety and um, concord in public displays. Or her public displays had a dramatic effect on the visual representation as well of the future imperial woman as ideal, honorable mothers and wives. She also restored a temple during her lifetime. Ooh, love a good building restoration. Um, and her home, the Villa at Galinas Albus, which is north of Rome, was excavated in modern time. Um, and it has a lot of famous frescoes and imagery. It oh, can be cool. viewed um, at the National Roman Museum. And one of the more famous statues of her husband came from the grounds of that villa. Oh, wow. Yeah. So even though there was a lot of like negative potential hearsay from ancient sources, a lot, but most people agree that she was a woman of proud and queenly attributes. She was faithful to her imperial husband. And she was viewed as a worthy consort and viewed as poised and dignified. She had, she had the skill and she acted out role, the roles of consort, mother, widow, and dowager very well. She said, apparently in one of the records, it, it, someone had two of her um, quotes, or they called them utterances. But it's a <laughs> utterances. Once when she saw naked or once when naked men met her and were to be put to death in consequence of meeting her, she saved their lives by saying that a chaste woman to, to a chaste woman, such men are in no day, no way different than the statues. And when someone asked her how she gained the respect of Octavian, she answered that it was by being scrupulously chaste herself, doing gladly whatever pleased him, not meddling in any of his fares, and in particular by pretending neither to hear nor notice the favorites of his passions so it sounds like he was potentially sleeping around but that also was less of a big deal in ancient times like i feel like a lot of people had harems and concubines the men did for sure in certain cultures even the women did you're right you're right but like but yeah it was kind of a thing um and i just i added this like little thing because i thought it was kind of funny so Livia's great-granddaughter, um, or the, rather the great-granddaughter of Livia and Augustus, or Octavian, so it must have been um, Julia's child by mm-hmm. Livia's son. Um, her name was Ag- Agrippina the Younger, <laughs> followed in Livia's footsteps in many ways, including um, iconography that um, portrayed her with attributes of the goddess, but she too was the wife of an emperor, Claudius, and helped her son, Nero, that Nero, Succeed to the throne, but in case of the all the initiative came from her, and she was more open than Livia in using her powers, um, or coins with her son. Unlike Livia, Agrippina the Younger paid dearly for her unconven- unconventionality when she was murdered by one of her sons. That's I'm like I've heard of her, and there's like something true crimey about her story. I, I, I think Nero might have been the one that was like, yeah, again, because she was she was actually like a lot more open in her yeah. scheming and stuff. But I just thought it was funny that she was like, well, she and like I, followed in Livia's footsteps, yeah. but the outcome was very different. Well, it sounds like Livia had this kind of 
she she knew she was playing a balancing act yeah between this presentation of the model roman woman wife and mother but also using that to her advantage to exert power and influence yep and she walked that that's a very thin line it sounds like she walked it very well while Agrippina the younger was more like yep. did, she, she she like jumped off the line and she's like I'm gonna do what I want yep and unfortunately it did not turn out well for her yeah we might have to cover Agrippina the younger I know I'm that's like, interesting well and it's funny because like her mom was Agrippina the the elder, elder. yep and yeah Caligula was her brother and then Nero was her son. This is all and, so fucking weird. I love, I mean. It's, so she's like right in the center of a lot of those powerhouses of Nero, Caligula. And then she was married to um, Claudius. Yeah. Like well, all of all of which are like really big names of the ancient times. Well, and like even, I wouldn't say I'm super well educated in ancient Rome. But these names, I recognize them. But like the women, you don't. But they were just as big of players and they were just as influential just maybe in a different way yeah but we don't talk about them and so I'm really glad you're sharing this story because she was obviously a very influential woman in ancient Rome she was the first in a lot of ways and she was a fucking trailblazer and she was the model Roman diva yeah so that's cool yeah, I, I found I came across her and I was like, ooh, I haven't covered an ancient woman in a long time. It's Let's been do a it. Minute. Yeah. Livia. Livia. The mother against menstrual cramps. No. Yes. No. Sponsored by Livia. <laughs> I'm kidding, we're not. <laughs> that better not be the episode title because literally it has nothing it's to not. do with the No, story. no, it's not. It's just It'd like, like mo- my you, favorite thing. You could thing. call her mother of the fatherland, but it kind of sounds like you're talking about Russia then. Yeah, no, I'm I'm calling her the model Roman diva because that well, sounds like that awesome. One. I put that on I put that on a bumper sticker. Well, and she did eventually when she got deified, she was yeah. called um Diva. Diva Augustus, whatever. Yeah. Diva Queen. Diva Empress. Hello. Diva Empress Queen. Yes. Yes. Yes, Diva Empress. Yes. You go, girl. I love it. Yeah, Diva Augusta was her was the name. Or the Divine Augusta. I wanted an elephant drawn chariot. That's what I've decided now. I mean, it's really good to have life goals. I would love a an ethically sourced elephant drawn chariot because yeah. you know, like the, I mean, I'm not saying I need like a ride. real life ele- elephant dri- driven chariot. Like if someone made me like a little wooden one that moved on its own, <gasps> oh, I would be really one thousand percent super happy with it. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get some elephant costumes for my dogs, and I'm going to hook them up to a chariot, and they're going to pull Arthur around. <laughs> yes. Most cute. Oh my god, that would be the cutest thing in the whole fucking world. And yeah, it would be. also be the most appropriate because Arthur is the king of my house. We are all there to serve him. Nice. I like it. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, that means Emily. Um, who are you whining about? No, I, I, am I a part of this podcast? I mean, we Is can that- just end with me. No, it's it's fine. I have I have some words in front of me. I'm going to attempt to read them. So, um I kind of kind of going along with the with the flavor of your story last week. I am all I am covering a Puerto Rican woman Ooh. because of Hispanic and Latinx Heritage Month. Yay. Um and I found this woman. I think I found her in like a listicle, but there was a photo of her that I was like, basically she looks like Mr. Rogers. So we're going to find out she's a storyteller, um, especially like with children's literature. And she like did puppet shows for kids. Oh, and like, cute. she looks like it, it's, it, she's giving Mr. Rogers. And I'm like, I love this lady. I'm done. I didn't know anything else about her except for that photo. Nice. And then I got to get to know her through my notes. So today I am whining about Pura Belpre. Pura was born in Sierra, Puerto Rico on February 2nd, 1899. We think. Dates are weird. Yep. It's really weird that I was getting more random dates than you got for your ancient lady, but okay. We don't know much about her childhood, but I imagine she was like kind of a fucking nerd because she grew up wanting to be a teacher. She enrolled in the University of Puerto Rico to earn her teaching degree. Nice. But then... Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Her sister got married. Normally, this is where we'd be like, and then she died. Yeah. <laughs> like, by the way, we're in the, we're three or sentences. And then she in. got married and then she can't yep. teach anymore. Yep. Her sister got married. Now, normally a sibling's marriage wouldn't really be worth mentioning in someone's biography, but it turned out to be a huge turning point in Pura's life. In 1920, she traveled to New York City to attend her sister's wedding. And while there, she fell in love with the Big Apple. La Manzana Grande. Yes. Um, Or would it be La Grande Manzana? No. La Manzana Grande. Because the adjective comes after. Okay. Like. No, I know. Vestido Rojo, red dress. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying, because we call it the Big Apple. Yeah, but I know in it, the, it's the different languages have different ways yeah, of saying it because it's a different sign language is the same. It's a different structure. It's a different sentence structure. I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna get out my my owl, and Please he will don't. tell you the thing. I know. <laughs> All right. Um, so she fell in love with this with the city, 
and decided to stay there. And she got a job in the garment industry, which is very common for many Puerto Ricans coming to the city at the time. Now, I don't know how and I don't know exactly when are the circumstances, but at some point she encountered someone from the New York Public Library, Mm. likely Ernestine Pulaski Rose, a notable New York librarian and feminist who I may cover in a future episode because she sounds cool. Hmm. At this time, the New York Public Library was trying to expand their staff to reflect the diverse population. They were getting a lot more immigrants, especially a lot more like immigrants um, from like Mexico and Latin America and all this other stuff. And they were like, we need to serve these people, you know, because their, their library services, like they didn't have people who were bilingual. They didn't have staff that represented or like had a cultural affiliation with their, with their audience, with their population. So they're like, we need to try and fix that to better serve our communities. So she was, so the library is trying to expand their staff to reflect the diverse population. She was recruited by the library as their Hispanic assistant in a branch of the library in Harlem. So this made her the first Puerto Rican to be hired by the New York Public Library, hmm. which is pretty fucking cool. Good for her. I really like this, too, because libraries, it's not just like a place to pick up, like, read books. But they offer social services, they offer educational programming, they offer jobs, like they do so much. And I love that they're like the New York Public Library was trying to be proactive and be like, how can we better serve the people who need us and need our services? So Pura took advantage of being Puerto Rican to help pioneer the library's outreach within the growing Puerto Rican community. Her efforts include establishing bilingual story hours buying Spanish language books for the library, and creating programs around traditionally Hispanic holidays. She would also tell stories using puppets, and that's where that photo comes in. She's, like, given real Mr. Rogers, and I love it, and it's super cute, and she's precious, and I want to hug her. She also worked closely with local advocacy groups, such as the Puerto Rican Brotherhood of America, and because of her dedication to making the library more accessible to the Spanish-speaking community, her library in Harlem became an important cultural center for the community. Like, it became a huge resource and gathering place, and she did all of this, like, groundwork on building that relationship because there's so much, like, okay, you have a library that traditionally serves European white people. And then they're like, well, we need to we need to better serve our Spanish speaking community. So they offer some Spanish books. That's not building the relationship, though. And so she is bridging that gap and like going out into the community and meeting people and getting to know them and like working with these groups and leaders in the community to bring them into the library and be like, what do you need? And then giving them those services. And so that that's a lot of work. It's a lot of networking. It's a lot of like interpersonal skills. And it's amazing. It's so needed. She also worked close. Uh, no, I read that. Throughout her career, she would be transferred to different libraries where she would implement similar programs. So, like, she kind of piloted this, and they were like, "You're killing it. We're gonna send you to all these other libraries to do the same thing because we need this." Yeah. Th- remember, she dropped out of college to live in New York. She does not have a college degree at th- at this time. So. Th- And she's like doing all this amazing stuff. So through her work, Pura developed a love of storytelling and children's literature and began writing her own stories. Her first children's story was about a cockroach and a mouse in love titled Perez and Martina. And it was published uh, and became one of the earliest books published in English by a Puerto Rican in the continental United States. 
and this would be the first of many, many published works. Pura would continue pursuing her education, enrolling in the library school of the New York Public Library, and it was actually in one of these classes that she wrote Perez and Martina, which I think is really cute. Yeah. And, like, she's, she's, like, my, she... I think it's also so brave. Like, she's got her kind of plan figured out. Yeah. She travels to New York City from Puerto Rico her plan for her sister's changes. wedding. And she's like, this place is fucking awesome. I'm going to flip the script. I live here now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my life here. Yep. In 1940, Pura met and fell in love with Clarence Cameron White, a black composer and violinist. And the two cemented their status as a power couple when they married on December 26th, 1943. Which is a bold marriage date. The day after Christmas. Like, I would be exhausted. I feel like I couldn't enjoy Christmas. Upon her marriage, Pura retired from the library to travel with Clarence on tour. And this gave her the opportunity to dedicate herself to her writing full time. She collected and translated Puerto Rican folktales, which she would publish as children's literature, along with writing her own original stories. And this isn't only really cool for Puerto Rican kids growing up and yeah. like in New York and like having access to their culture and these folk stories and like their their parents feeling seen but also it's bringing this culture to vast numbers of ch- children who otherwise wouldn't be exposed right, to that just like the regular kids yeah but also it's like giving that that um That connect the heritage for the, you know, the Puerto Rican kids, but it's also giving this connection and this education for children where it's not their heritage, but then it's giving them an understanding. So, you know, if you have this Puerto Rican classmate, it's like, oh, I feel like I kind of understand you because this book taught me about this. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's awesome. And this is where Juan Bobo comes in. Juan Bobo... Or Foolish John is a folk character from Puerto Rico. Juan Bobo stories are used as instructional models for children, often involve Juan Bobo, the titular character, engaging in cultural traditions or everyday tasks like going to school and inevitably fucking things up and learning a lesson for it. And then therefore the reader learns a lesson. Yeah. So it's very like, I think Wiki was like, it's very like Amelia Bedelia who follows instructions to a fault. I love it. Where he's like, he's like, good-hearted but also kind of a dope yeah and you know it's it's these like um you know you you learn you learn from hit through his mistakes so while Juan Bobo is a popular character in Puerto Rico and actually when I looked up who created him it just said Puerto Rican school children so no one really fully knows where Juan Bobo came from he's just kind of one of those folkloric characters yeah. Um, so he's super popular in Puerto Rico. He hadn't made a splash in the U.S. In fact, a series of Juan Bobo stories were published in 1921. Um, and those were the first ones. And these stories were in ascending order of hilarity. Juan Bobo refuses to marry the princess. Juan Bobo throws his brother down a well. Juan Bobo heats up his grandmother. And finally, my favorite, Juan Bobo delivers a letter to the devil. <laughs> Jeez. Juan Bobo's getting into some shit. Yeah, he is. Jeez. <laughs> but like, this is also 1921. So I'm sure the Juan Bobo stories told today are a lot more mellow. <laughs> Maybe less having to do with the devil and trying to murder your brother by throwing him down a well. Right. 
or heating up your grandmother, which I can't tell if it's like heating her up sexually or like in a pot. <laughs> I assumed in a pot. <laughs> Either way, it's so bad. What, you're like cooking your grandmother or yeah. turning her on? Either way, I hate this. Maybe he just turned up the heat and then like left. He fucked with a thermostat. Oh my God. You know how grandmothers hate it when you touch the thermostat. But so like Juan Bobo stories were being published in the US and, you know, Pearl likely grew up with Juan Bobo stories and was ready to add her own flavor to the Juan Bobo legacy. And in 1962, she published her first Juan Bobo story called Juan Bobo and the Queen's Necklace, a Puerto Rican folktale. Again, Way more mellow than Juan Bobo delivers a letter to the devil. Yeah. But this is like 40 years later. Yeah. So while Juan Bobo stories had been published in the U.S. before, obviously, it was per a story that really became the breakthrough publication. According to Wiki, quote, it was the first major Juan Bobo story published in the U.S., which like kind of reading between the lines, I think that means it was like the first one that was a big commercial success and or appealed to the white audiences of the time you know like it kind of broke the cultural barrier where like everyone's reading this story when Pura's husband Clarence passed away in 1960 she returned to working for the New York Public Library as their Spanish children's specialist this gave her the opportunity to work with the South Bronx Library Project a community outreach program to promote library use and provide programs in Latinx neighborhoods across the Bronx. So kind of what she was doing in the early yeah. days of her career they've made this a formal program and they're like you're in, you're you're doing this. Right, you're in charge. This is your jam. Yeah, this, this is, is your you. jam and your jelly. Yeah. So um Purr traveled all over the Bronx as part of this program and again trying to bridge the gap between library services and the Puerto Rican Spanish speaking community that was becoming that was growing in the area. And what I also think is so wonderful about that is you go to a new place, you go to a place where maybe you don't speak the language or you're unfamiliar with it, you know? Yeah. And, but there are some places that you always just kind of feel safe. And like for me, a library always feels safe. Like if I move to a new place, the library is probably one of the first places I would check out because it, it'd make me feel grounded. And like helping people feel a sense of community, feeling connected to this community that they're living in, that they're new to is huge. And that she's making these libraries, yeah. community centers for everyone is just so wonderful. I and I can't overstate how much work goes into that kind of thing. Oh, sure. The outreach, the connection, you know, trying to understand people's needs and then communicate that to the library staff who may not be well versed in what those needs are and like working on cultural sensitivity. And like, it's so much fucking work. Yeah. And it's so many different channels and different people and different yeah. things you have to order organized yeah so uh pura had an illustrious career bridging the gap between the new york public library and the growing latinx and hispanic communities in 1982 she was awarded the new york mayor's award for arts and culture and that same year on july 1st she passed away Hmm. so she had a fucking incredible life and career. I yeah. think she she did. I think she did end up getting her degree, but it just, for going to her sister's wedding, the trajectory of her life completely changed. And I think she would have been a great teacher, but she was really the right person in the right place. Yeah, 
at the right time in this this situation and that is so cool and she ran with it yeah I think it's a it's amazing like what you can do when everything lines up in just a way about something you're passionate about well and you know we talk about uh DEI practices and training and that this was like early DEI efforts and it is important. You can't just ignore an entire section of your community no. and just be like, I don't know, figure our shit out. Like yeah. you have, you have to serve everyone. You have to think of everyone. You have to be inclusive to everyone. Legacy. In addition to an impressive library of published children's books, Pura has been honored with the creation of the Pura Belpre Award in 1996. The award is given annually to a Latinx writer and illustrator, quote, whose work best portrays, affirms, and celebrates Latino cultural mm-hmm. experience in an outstanding work of literature for children in youth. And some of the winners of this award have included Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz, mm-hmm. which, like, I, I read that book yep. growing up. I did, too. Um, Drum Dream Girl by Margarita Engel, or Engle, um, which, okay, I, I think I told you Q had that uh, pageant thing. Yeah. Drum Dream Girl was the book that, they, that like, the whole school read, and the pageant was based around that. That's and Drum cool. Dream Girl is basically, it's about, it's about this girl living in this, you know, Hispanic village. And she wants to play the drums, but only men are allowed to play drums, which actually is historically accurate. Drums yeah. were seen as like your connection to God. And because yep. women are seen un- as unclean, because we have the superpower of be able to bleed for days on end and not die, which honestly I think makes us more godlike, but whatever. Um, you I know, they were true. they were banned from like playing drums. So the book is about this girl wanting to play the drums and then achieving that dream and kind of breaking that gender barrier. But it's told in a way that's like, it's not like you go girl. It's told in a way that's like you shouldn't be barred from doing something just because of who you are or what you look like. Right. So it's this very like it's it's very like go after your dreams but also no one should stop anyone else. It's like this beautiful inclusive story. And I I saw that on the list. I was like, oh, my God, I know Drum Dream Girl. I cried during that pageant because it was so beautiful. All these little children badly singing together about inclusivity and each other. (laughs) Um, Also, I have not read this book, but the the book title really struck me. One of the winners was Yaki Delgado Wants to Kick Your Ass by Meg Medina. And I looked up what I looked up the synopsis for this book. Cause I'm like, that is an amazing title. And I want to know. And I thought maybe it'd be a little funny. It's not, it's about like serious bullying. Um, it's yeah. actually based on an experience that the, that the author had, but it's like a good, you know, kind of like teen middle school, young adult kind of book. And it, I, I don't know, like, not all the books have to be like super like everything's great. Like kids deal with really hard shit. And sometimes reading about other people dealing with really hard shit is incredibly helpful, you know? So I kind of want to get that for Q. Yeah. Like when she's a little older, maybe. <laughs> Cause, right. Cause like, it's, it's about like anti-bullying and yeah, dealing with like bullying, but also dealing with like hard things in your life. Yeah. Like it's, it's still a good message, but yeah, like yeah. maybe it's, it's, it's not for little kids. It's no. for like older kids. Yeah. Like I, I would say like probably middle school Yeah, once they're in middle school. So maybe when Quinn's or Q's a little older, I'll, I'll get her that. Yaki Delgado wants to kick your ass. 
It's just lovely. Let me know if your kids have read that and like what their reaction was because the synopsis on Wiki was really intense. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought it might be funny and it wasn't. <sighs> yeah, it sounds like it could be like a humor book and it's not. And yeah. That sucks. All right. Well, that is the story of Porta Belpre, the Latina librarian. Yeah. And the first Latinx librarian at the New York Public Library. Well, okay. She was the first Puerto Rican librarian. Yeah. I don't know if she was like, but yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that was really cool. I love how she was able to kind of bridge this culture gap in New York City. I loved how she really embraced her own Puerto Rican culture and brought that to a larger audience and made it accessible, not only for kids of like Puerto Rican and Hispanic and Latinx heritage, but like even, you know, European kids and that. I just, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm definitely, the next time someone I know has a baby, I'm getting them a Juan Bobo book. Juan Bobo delivers a letter to the devil. I was going to say, you're I'm getting, getting that, that one. one. I am getting, actually, there are two babies you, you in might, my life right now. They're get getting them, those you books. You might get them. Heats up, heats up grandma. Heats up grandma. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. I have two babies in my life right now. They're getting those. They're actually both about to turn one. They are both getting those books. Just Juan Bobo collection. <laughs> the Juan Bobo, co- the Juan Bobo morality collection. Juan Bobo delivers a letter to the devil. Juan Bobo meets with a Satanist. <laughs> Juan oh Bobo tries cocaine for the first time. I don't know. <laughs> Just Juan Bobo doing crazy shit. But yeah, no, I, I saw that picture and I was so sold on it. And she sounds like an amazing woman. So Kelly, my darling, my dearest. What am I thankful for? What are you thankful for? That you haven't heated up your grandmother? I mean, yeah, I am thankful for that. Um, I never boiled and consumed my grandmother. Congratulations. <laughs> Trying to look up like the plot for Juan Bobo. He's so great. <laughs> so I'm super curious. Oh my God. All right. Juan Bobo delivers a letter to the um, devil. Yeah, it says, yeah, similar to Amelia Bedelia. Yeah. Um, Which I kind of forgot um, about Amelia Bedelia until I was like, oh my God. And do you remember um, who was, what was the series of books about the nanny who like got kids to stop sucking so hard? Like there was like, she was a nanny for a little boy who was, who was super messy. So she brought in a pig who had really good manners and shamed him into having manners and cleaning up after himself. Mrs. Peggy Wiggle. Oh. Uh, or, or what? Okay. Piggle Wiggle? Piggle Wiggle. Hold on. I got to look at. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. I loved those books. It's actually really cool to see how the covers have changed over the years because it's the same story, but they update the illustrations. Yeah. No, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle was a bad bitch. She's a fucking queen. <laughs> So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? What am I thankful for? I am thankful for silence. No, I'm kidding. I am thankful. <laughs> silence, I'm, my old friend. I'm just, I'm thankful for so many things. Um... I am thankful for 
I don't know. Like I like do, I do, do you, you like want, I'm gonna repeat everything. Okay, do you want me to go first? Because yeah, I have just first. found something that I'm very thankful for. So first of all, there's there's a Juan Bobo book called Juan Bobo Busca Trabajo. I'm like, oh Juan Bobo looks for a job. Good for him. He's such a enterprising child. But this might be the one I get for the babies in my life. Juan Bobo sends the pig to mass. It is four ninety five. On booksamillion.com. What the fuck is happening? I'm so in love with this. Oh my God. In Puerto Rico, there are many stories about Juan Bobo, a young man with a good heart, but little common sense. Juan Bobo, which translates to Simple John, is featured in a series of humorous folk tales in Puerto Rico. We already, we already did that. Ba, 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 ba. One morning, Juan's mother asks her son to take care of their pig while she goes to church for mass. While she is gone, Juan hears the pig squealing and grunting, so he thinks that the pig is sad because she wanted to go to mass too. Oh my God. No one has ever been sad to miss mass. I'm just saying. In an attempt to be helpful, he dresses up the pig in his mother's clothes and jewelry. Then he sends her off to mass. When Juan's mother returns from church, she is furious when she discovers the pig rolling in the mud with with what is left of her dress. Still, Juan just doesn't understand why the pig never made it to mass. These folk tales feature stories of pigs and fools. <laughs> yeah, I cannot figure out what Juan Bobo heats up his grandma is about it doesn't exist oh my god i'm very i'm imagining there's like it's like oh you have to cook for grandma it's like cook grandma okay yeah exactly (laughs) i don't know well because i was reading one about a pot and it's like he's confused because the pot has three legs and he only has two but the pot can't walk itself to his house oh my god that's actually really precious like what (laughs) i Love but I guess when Juan you're like Bobo. really, really little, that makes sense. Yeah. That is super awesome. Well, I'm thankful that I found Juan Bobo Sends the Pig to Mass. That is my new favorite book. Kelly, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for doing this podcast. Aww. No, like... We've had to take breaks for various things recently, and it it always I always like when we are able to get back on like track and stuff. And I'm excited for things we have coming up and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I'm thankful for the podcast. Aw, I'm thankful for the podcast and you. I love and you so damn much. I love you too. I'm also really thankful that we got to go apple picking and get our basic bitch fall on. Yeah, that was super fun. Because here's the thing, like, there is a negative connotation with the basic bitch shit, but you know why it's basic? Because it's popular. And you know why it's popular? Because it's fucking good shit. So you know what? Drink your pumpkin spice, get your chider on, get your apple picking on. Chider? What is chider? It's a uh, chai apple cider. Ooh, that actually yeah. sounds really good. Dude, you can get it at Steam. It's super fucking good. It's delicious and I love it. You know, get your get your sweaters, get your like pictures with the changing leaves. Do it all because you know who it's going to piss off? Someone who's already deeply unhappy and should be pissed because they suck. Yeah. You're pissing off the right people. 
Like, if you doing what you want to do pisses people off, that is their problem. Not as yours. long as you're not hurting anyone, there are obviously yeah. caveats to this, and you should know what they are. Anyway. But, like, if you want to go apple picking and someone gets mad at you for going apple picking, as long as you're picking apples at, like, a legal apple orchard, not yeah. just off some random dude's tree, they can get mad about it. Wait, so you mean I wasn't in the right in that situation when he chased me out of his yard with his broom? No. But okay, okay, I hear what you're saying, but also I really wanted his apples. Does that does that change your judgment at all? Like I really wanted his apples and I did not care about his sense of privacy. Does nope. that change your opinion? It, it does not. <laughs> All right. Well, by uh, next week, we're going to get into some, we're going to get full into spooky bitch season. We are going to be covering femme fatales. No, after this recording. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. After after this, this. I I mean, time means nothing. No, but that is October is the month where we masquerade as a true crime podcast. And uh, things are going to get dark. Dark. Soup's Dirk. Dirk. And put that on a shirt. Soup's Dirk. Prepare for the Dirk. Prepare for the Dirk. Thank you. Dirk Dirk. Thank you, God, so much for listening to the ramblings of two sober mad women. <laughs> like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHPAD. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find links to all of our social media as well as a link to buy me a coffee where you can donate five dollars a one-time donation to buy us a bottle of wine and we'll find a wine relating to your name or that you want us to buy yeah we'll take suggestions otherwise you can donate for as little as one dollar a month on our patreon and get some bonus content we also have links to our sweet ass merch also next week we will be recording in the october Herstory happening. Oh, yeah. So get ready for that. Is it is it yours? Because I have one that's yeah. like perfect for October because it's about straight up fucking villains. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's bad. It'll make you start screaming. Yeah. I Banshee I did howling. I did some research on the group the you're thing. talking about yeah. just because it Yeah. It'll They're yeah. the fucking worst. They're the worst. Yay. Leave us five stars wherever you listen. Uh, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of Warning About Herstory. Yo soy Emilia. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Adios.